Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. It's good to, to be here with you. So the, one, of, one of the great joys I have on Saturday is to read the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal. And they have a section that just does book reviews. And yesterday they had a book review. As they said, look into the new year. They wanted to review a book by a professor from Queensland University in Australia on how to get rid of negative thinking and what to do about it. It's very interesting. He said in that article or in the book review that there's a new term in psychology called the negativity effect. And they make these statements. And I thought, I thought it was interesting. Some of them were very self-evident, but they're still interesting. He says, for example, uh, he says that studies have shown that it's more positive to get good economic news than negative. I said, thank you for that. And then he said this about marriage, and this was really good. He says, by tracking couples over time, psychologists have found that the success of marriage depends mainly on the frequency of negative interactions and how people deal with negativity. In marriage destined for success, people overlook their spouse's flaws, maintaining what researchers call, this is interesting, positive illusions. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just reading the quote from the book, positive illusions. When something goes wrong, they either give their spouse the benefit of the doubt or respond calmly so not as to escalate the conflict. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? In, in marriages that fail, people assume the worst and respond angrily, and because bad emotions are so powerful and contagious, a minor argument can quickly spiral into a major fight, or so this article says. I have no idea what they're talking about. He goes on and says, remember the rule of four. The rule of four is for every one negative experience, have four positive experiences. It takes four compliments to overcome one negative comment. The rule of four. And then they say this, see the big picture. Get a hold of the big picture. Just about every measure of human welfare is improving except one, hope. The better life gets, the gloomier our worldview. International surveys... It's the rich, they, we find out, who sound the most pessimistic and the worst informed. The global rate of poverty has declined by two-thirds in recent decades, but most people in affluent countries think that it has remained steady or gotten worse. Crime has plummeted in the U.S., but most Americans think that it has risen because they see so much of it on their TV screens. Therefore, limit what you see and think positively. And I read that and I thought, well, this is pretty commonsensical stuff. And then I thought, but we have something so much better. And I'm going to tell you the so much better word this morning from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm beginning a series of four or five messages on waiting upon the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 is written prophetically by a man named Isaiah, 100 years before the Babylonian captivity. In the Babylonian captivity, Israel is decimated. The temple is destroyed about 586 B.C. And so the, the leaders of, of Israel and the gifted and the artists and the scholars are transported to Babylon for 70 years in captivity. It is a bleak, bleak time in the history of Israel. It is a horrific time. The, the death of hope. There's nothing but despondency. And a guy named Jeremiah comes along and says, you know, 
plan your life, do the right thing. But anyway, so, so Isaiah is writing prophetically looking 100 years ahead. He talks about, in chapter 40, about a universal statement that is true of, of all of us. Let's just be honest. In verse 27, the universal statement is this. It says, well, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, why is my way hidden from the Lord? And my right hand, or my right is disregarded by my God. All of us, all of us occasionally say, where's God in all this? Where's God in my relational upset? Where's God in trying to parent a difficult child? Where's God in my job that just is so anemic? God, where are you? Do you care? And so as this universal complaint is voiced that we all occasionally say, here's his answer. He says, in order to see clearly, you need to have a picture of a great and glorious God who is. He says this. He says, have you not known, verse 28, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What a statement. Either the word faint is used three times here. Either we're fainting or we're soaring. Two options. And we go to both occasionally, but, but the question is, how do we live in such a way that we mount up with wings as eagles? I have the privilege of living in a wonderful place, a wonderful city called Charleston. And in our neighbor's backyard is a very, very tall pine tree, and there are three eagles that stay in that tree several months out of the year. And I'll be outside early in the morning, and I'll hear the glorious screech of the eagle. And I'll jump up and I'll run around, I'll get a view, and I'll see this eagle flying into a tree with his talons extended. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And then they'll sit in the tree and I'll sit there and, and eventually they'll, they'll, they'll go up and, and they will let, let the air will catch them and effortlessly they will go up and up and up and up. They're just soaring. And so this is a, a great passage. So, so, so really part of this passage is, is, is being able to see clearly and to think well. There's a man named Martin Luther who started the Reformation, died in 1546. Luther was, um, um, he was a character, just to be honest. He was, um, more information than one know. He had some problems with his gastral system. And he always talked about what happened with problems down here all the time. He's like a junior high boy all the time, you know, just kind of like that. And, and, but he was just an honest guy. If, if Martin Luther had a Twitter account in 1540, he'd have blasted everybody. So he has a young friend named Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was a scholarly, shy, reticent guy who dealt with depression. So did Luther. But, but Luther was just kind of out there. And so Luther, this extrovert who was just always going, writes a letter to a young man who's struggling with some doubts. And this is what he says. I'm just going to be part of it to you. He says, I am heartily opposed to your great anxiety, Philip. 
which is you right, is weakening you. Why in the world do you fret always without ceasing? Throw your care upon the Lord. The Lord is near to all sorrowful hearts that call upon Him. I, have often, I often feel a horror coming over me, but not for long. Your philosophy, therefore, is plaguing you, not your theology. He says, your problem, Philip, is that you're not theological. You're, you're thinking philosophically. You run to the Scripture. And he says this, I, I beseech you. I'm not here. Yeah. I, I beseech you who are so efficient in combat and all other things, fight against yourself. For you are ever your own worst enemy because you give Satan so many weapons against yourself. And he says this, and I thought this would be interesting if somebody said this to me. Truly, I pray diligently for you, and it pains me that you suck anxiety into yourself like a blood leech. See what I'm saying? He's just kind of an honest guy. And make my prayer so powerless. I have more than I would ever have thought to possess. God can raise the dead. He can also preserve his cause. Even if it falls, when it is fallen, he can raise it up again. When it stands fast, he will make it prosper. So what he's saying is, Philip, run to the Scripture. Run to the reality of God. Run to the character of God. And that's what Isaiah is saying in our, our passage. Do you want strength for the journey? Do you want to see clearly? Then run to the character of God. We need to see clearly. There's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul prays this prayer for the church. These are believers now. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope, okay, hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the believers, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. See clearly. We need to see clearly. The most important thing that I will ever deal with from day to day is what I think about and contemplate when I think about the character and majesty of the triune God. So, last night, I'm an early to bed guy. I'm just, I'm wired that way. I go to bed early. I get up real early. Late to me is nine o'clock. Nine o'clock is just really late. Yeah, so I'm boring. I know I'm very boring. So last night, the kickoff wasn't until 8.20. And I, I, I really, to be honest, I struggled. So I, I, is it fair to stay up late knowing I'm preaching on Sunday? So tell me after the service, I made perfect sense. I'm doing just fine, okay? So I sat there and watched that game. And I almost went to bed in the first quarter. I said, this is ridiculous. But I, I hung in there. And it was, if you didn't see the game, it was a great game. I'm sitting there watching with my wife. Stop. A miracle. <laughs> my, my wife does not stay up watching, especially sports. She just does not. When I meet guys, they say, my wife loves to watch sports with me. I fall on my knees and kiss their feet. I said, you are blessed of men. In fact, my wife, I tell her this all the time. If, if she ever has trouble going to sleep, I get out of bed. I pick up a basketball and I start bouncing it. She's asleep in 10 seconds. It's better than any Ambien she'll ever take. Anyway, so she's, she's watching the game. It's 23 to 21, Ohio State. Six minutes to go, and my cable goes out. Thank you for that response. In the, in the first hour, they started laughing. I said, this is not funny. This is a horror story. 
And, and so I'm sitting there, and I, I'm like, well, I have no technology gift at all in this whole body. Nothing. And so I'm turning it off, turn it back on. Turn it off, turn it back on. I said, what, what, what do I do? I call my son who's on the West Coast. I said, Zach, my cable's gone out. He starts laughing at me. He says, I can't believe this, Dad. And so finally, I turn off, turn on. I, I, I call my neighbor or I text my neighbor. I said, are you still awake? He says, because usually he's asleep at 5 o'clock. He goes, he goes, yeah, I run over there and I see the last minute. But I missed the winning touchdown. I missed the winning drive. But, but the, the, here's my point. The point of the story is this. I could not see when the cable was down. I, I couldn't see it. There are people here today who are not seen. B believers, you've lost your perspective. You've lost your way. You're just not, not seeing clearly. And so this, this passage talks to us about how to see clearly. I'm going to tell you several things about the character of God from this passage and then the message that Isaiah preached as we think about the new year. He, this is what it says about the character of God. He says this. He says, have you not known, have you not heard that, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He is the almighty creator, king, glorious in his goodness. He, he says in, in verse 26, he says, this God, lift up your eyes on high and see who created all of these, all the stars, who created all of these, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not missing one. He calls them out by name. It says earlier, he, he, clo he closes the universe as if it's a, just a, a curtain. He just closes it as a curtain. He says in the same passage, he, he measures out the nations in, in the hollow of his hand. They're a drop in the bucket. They're dust on the scale. This is your God. And we believe as we studied this period that, that, that if you could observe the known universe at that time, you could see maybe 5,000 stars. But now because of research, we know that this is, I, I did this, this is un unbelievable to me, that the Milky Way galaxy has 400 billion stars. That there are, if you listen to, 125 to 200 billion galaxies. Billion. And the Bible says he calls every star by name. That's your God. And if you're to see clearly, if you have strength for the journey, you realize that the God we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the eternal creator. He's the everlasting God who has no beginning and who has no end. He spoke the worlds into being. Wild. And, and, and then he says this. He does not faint or grow weary. This God, unlike youths, Strong, athletic men and women will stumble and fall. They'll get tired. But, but this God does not faint or grow weary. In, in other words, he's all-powerful and he's unchanging. He says in verse 23 and 24, he says he brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stern stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like mere stubble. So this God, 
does not faint or grow weary. We do. He doesn't. Hebrews 13 in the New Testament, verse 8, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was never a time when he was not. Wild. The third thing he says is his, his understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is, 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 is beyond ultimate comprehension. I was, had a conversation with a young woman the other day, 23 years old. She's a good thinker. And she said, can I ask a question? Sure, ask a question. She says, do you believe that we will have perfect knowledge in heaven? I said, yes, absolutely. But not exhaustive knowledge. We will never have exhaustive knowledge because the glorious character of the triune God is so grand. We will spend all of eternity grappling with the grandeur and the wonder and the majesty and the power of the living God. My opinion. His understanding, he's here, is, is, it is unsearchable. So it says three things about the character of God. He's the great creator God. He is unchanging. He doesn't faint or grow weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. See, see, the Bible is truth. It's true truth, but it's limited truth. This doesn't tell us everything about the character of God. This is just beginning to scrape the surface. It tells us everything we need to be saved. Everything we need for life and godliness. But the character of God is so glorious. And as, as I look at this passage, I think, you know, at this point, I would say, behold your God, next chapter. He doesn't do that. He says, this great, glorious creator, God, who has no beginning, who has no end, who is unsearchable and, and, and magnificent in his knowledge and wisdom, th this great and glorious God, listen, he gives power to the faint. That's me. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And then the commentary. Even young people, faint and are weary. Even young men fall exhausted, but those who wait upon the Lord look to him in trust and obedience. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You want your strength to be renewed? You want strength for the journey in 2020? Look to the Lord. Look to his word. They shall man up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. We serve a God who is Trinitarian, who's inviting and pursuing and empowering his people. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, or all of you who are fainting and weary, and I will give you rest. Or you will mount up with wings as eagles. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and, and you'll find rest for your souls. The next few weeks, how to wait upon the Lord in 2020. How to be renewed. So, so, so now, the character of God and then his message. The message is the first few verses of Isaiah 40. He starts off like this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her, your warfare is ended, your sins are pardoned, and you receive from the Lord's hand double for anything you've ever done. And blessings. 
comfort. The word of comfort here, that means you're able to breathe again. You felt pressure and oppressed. You can't breathe. He says, breathe again. Breathe again. And then speak tenderly to the people and say to them, warfare is over. Sins are forgiven. The blessings are coming. And the question is, how? And Isaiah answers that later in Isaiah 53. Because the Messiah is coming. The King is coming. Isaiah chapter 53 Verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He took on our sin, your sin, so that you could have peace with the living God. By his wounds we are healed. Behold the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him my sin, your sin. Speak comfort. Speak tenderly. And then he says here, you cry out three different things. With that, that's his message. He says, cry out three things. The first thing I want you to cry is this. He says, cry out to the people. Verse 3, that, that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. In other words, Messiah's coming. Therefore, you, his people, repent. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for the Lord. Get, get obstacles out of the way. Lift, lift up the valleys. Bring down the mountains. Make it a broad plain. And so I, I, I read this and I say to myself, am I a repenting man? Which means you turn from sin and you run to the sweetness of Christ. And I personally believe that we live in a time when it's easy to wink at sins that can destroy us. Whether it's envy or gossip or an unforgiving spirit, lust, runaway purchasing, consumerism, destroy. Because they keep us from seeing the beauty of Jesus. There was a man named Evan Roberts who was a Bible student at a college in Wales in 1804, 1805, and he went to his principal and he said, I just feel that I need to go back to my home church and preach. And the principal said, well, go preach. And so he went back and he preached one night and there were eight people there and he preached the next night and there were 30, then people started coming in. And they had something called the, the, the revival in Wales in 1904 to 1905. Tens of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And Evan Roberts went all over the country and he preached this on message. He had four points. Very simple. Same message everywhere he went. Four points. Number one was this confess any known sin to God and put away wrong done to others. Get rid of your sin. 
Now, number two, put away any doubtful habits. He says, says, all of us at times can be surrounded by doubtful habits. We're not sure if they're impeding us, but we think they might. He says, get rid of those things. Just get rid of them. Number three, obey the Holy Spirit promptly as you read the Bible. In other words, this is a living book. This isn't just a devotional exercise, reading something like you'd read, you know, a a nice. This is God's Word. The Spirit takes it and applies it to our heart. Number four, openly confess Christ as your Savior to your culture. Simple. But the first point, you know, confess sin. Think of James 5, confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed. So the first cry here is, is cry, repent. We repent because the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Brothers and sisters, we repent because the glory of the Lord has been revealed in Jesus. And you want to get rid of anything that keeps you from seeing Him. Well, that's true. I need to hear that. And then secondly, the, 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 next, the next cry is, you cry out this. Verse 6, cry out why shall I cry, Isaiah says, and he says, cry this, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He says, these things are, are not permanent. God's truth is. We live in a culture where we need to say to each other, life is fast. There are some people here who are at the very height of their physical abilities. You're strong, you're athletic, you're thinking well. Others of us are not. (laughs) There's one thing you can count on is this, life is fast. Life is fast. And the, the beauty will fade. I was out the other day Christmas shopping, and there was a man behind me with two little girls, and they were telling him, Daddy, 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 probably seven and nine years old, and they were laughing, and it was just a sweet, just, I, I love standing in line and listening to them. When you get, maybe I shouldn't have said this, but I, I turned to him and said, Sir, the, your daughters are lovely. I said, Can I give you one word of advice? He said, Sure. He says, Drink up every minute you can with them right now. It says, my little girl is 31, and yesterday she was eight. Boom. Life is fast. And it's like the grass of the field. Beautiful in the morning. The sun comes out. Slowly goes down, and the wind blows it away. But the word of the Lord stands forever. So, so th- these things are not lasting. They're not, they're not lasting. It's just, life is fast. God's truth us. See, if I'm going to flourish in 2020, if I'm going to experience a soaring renewal like the, like the eagle, I've got to say, you know, these things don't last, but this really does. The, the other day, I, I came into a uh, a room, and my wife had a TV show on. I only saw the last five minutes. I haven't really seen the TV show that much. It's called The Good Doctor. I think it's on ABC. But anyway, in this particular episode, there was a, a, a surgical resident, um, a, a woman whose mother had died. And so 
she's standing there with her mother's ashes in an urn, and they've gone to this place where her mother requested that, that she go <clears throat> and empty her ashes uh, at a very special place that was dear to her. And in the background, they were having uh, a reception. People were eating and, and milling about and talking. And so she goes out, and she's got the urn in her hands, and she's looking over where she's going to dump the ashes, and her best friend comes up to her and puts her arm around her. And she says, it's time to do this. And she says, I, I know. She said, um, do you believe in God? And she says something like this, I'm, I'm, I don't know. She says, I'm not religious. And her friend says this, you may not believe in God, but you're religious. All people are religious. So I thought that was very interesting, but I, I, I can't unpack that anyway. <clears throat> and then she says, what was your mother's religion? She says, I don't know. She says, your mother's religion was music. I knew her well. She loved music. Do you pray? She says, no, I really don't pray. Well, you need to do something, and you'll do the right thing. And she patted her on the back and walked off. And she's standing there with this urn with ashes and this movie, on a, this TV show on ABC. And then in an incredibly beautiful voice, she starts singing Amazing Grace. The, the, the hymn by John Newton, the former slave trader who was saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I, I, was, I was sitting there going, they're not changing the words. They're not changing the words. I said, so, and I just... She, she's weeping, and I'm, I'm going, this is pretty powerful stuff. And I thought, you know, really... But, but listen, to, listen to Brother Newton. Grace will never be amazing until I can say, saves a wretch like me. Now, if you know English language, theology, we believe in the depravity of man, all men are sinners, but, but all men are sinners. A wretch is way down here. I mean, a, a, a really bad dude. And John Newton was a really, really bad dude. Slave trader, immoral man, bad dude. When God saved him. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I'm going, wow. And then she sings the second stanza, and I'm going, whoa. Second stanza, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" That's the gospel. See, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace said, behold, a living, glorious God who has these standards, and no one measures up. So I feared. I deserve judgment. And grace, my fears relieved. Grace relieved my fears because the gospel says, what I could never do, God did for me when he became a man. How precious do thy grace appear the hour I first believed. And I thought, this is unbelievable. I thought it was unbelievable. I remember, and then remembered being in high school in the 1970s. I don't think I had three serious thoughts in four years of high school. I got to be honest with you. And I think that's a very latitudinal statement. Maybe not one. But anyway, um, I remember in high school, my friends said to me, there's this new song that has been released by Judy Collins. It's beautiful. 
I said, what is this? It's called, a song called Amazing Grace. It was on the top of the charts for months. I'd never heard it before. And when I listened to it, I didn't have ears to hear it. So it was just, yeah, it's got to, yeah, whatever. Give me James Taylor. That type of thing. But I think about that, and I think about this. And there is a cry in the hearts of people to see a great and glorious God who loves them. Amazing grace. And we find that, brothers and sisters, in the gospel. And the fourth thing about his message is this, and this is just incredible. He says, the next thing you cry out, go to the high mountains, lift up your voice with strength, and say to the people of Judah, <clears throat> behold your God. Behold the Lord God. Verse 10 comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense goes before him. God is powerful and glorious and almighty. But then listen to verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Yes, God is almighty and all-powerful. Creator God has no beginning and who has no end. And in the fullness of time, this almighty, glorious, powerful God became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death and ascended into heaven and he's poured out the Holy Spirit and this Savior tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in his bosom. He gently leads us. I, this is an amazing passage. Do you want strength for the journey? Do you want to see clearly? Behold the glory of God who gives strength to those who have no strength. Behold the glory of God who says, I bring you comfort. I bring you forgiveness of sins. I bring blessings to you. Repent so you can taste that goodness. Be, be people who fully understand that, that life is short. So treat it with dignity and grace and love the truth and behold the mercy of Jesus. May we wait upon the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll close in song. Lord, thank you uh, for this passage. Thank you that you have seen us through another year to date, and uh, thank you for the gift of life. Lord, I, I thank you that life is glorious and full and rich, but it is so fast. And I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And I, I pray that we would realize and understand that with all the gifts of life, that life is brief and that your word is foundational and eternal and sure. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are the creator God, that you are the ones who made the heavens and the earth. Thank you, almighty, living, sovereign king, that, that, that you are the one whose wisdom is unsearchable unsearchable, that you're unchanging. And thank you that you give strength to those who are fainting. And to those who have no might, you increase their strength as we look to you. 
So we want to do that today, and we want to do that in 2020, Lord. Do something in us that is glorious and rich and strong and honors Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.